And they have right to feel that. As this great nation resting here in the shadow of the cosmos, stretching from here now all the way to the outskirts of Saturn, before long, man will be doing what he does here on the moon. <laughs> and we know what we do, don't we, gang? There's good old moon sitting up there unsuspecting. Wait till we get to Mars. They got canals already built. <laughs> As a matter of fact, there is a great sign up here at the big astronomy center up here on Central Park West, right next to the Museum of Natural History. And it's a big blue one. You know those blue and white signs that New York specializes in, the kind that says, eyes lift that way. Have you ever followed one? You'll be able to find yourself out to sea one day. But nevertheless, there's this big blue and white sign. All it says is solar system and restrooms. That way. <laughs> oh, that's not a coincidence that those two are put together on that side, because we know it's a long trip to Mars. It's going to be a lot of action about five minutes after that trip ends there, you know. So hang on, gang. All set to tell them now? You all set to go? Now you see why man lays a flat tire every time he goes somewhere. Build them up to a frenzy, and what do you get? An egg cream. What do you get? All right, all set now. Let's go. One, two, three. <laughs> all set? Okay, let them hear it. Excelsior, you planet! Hold it now. This, of course, is an election year. We don't want to start any panics out there. We don't want to start anything, you know, that little worry that goes deep down inside of a man when he hears the unmotivated cheering of a fantastic mob holding aloft signs that bear enigmatic slogans. The simple slogan like, Shame! <laughs> There's an all-purpose one to make anybody standing along the line of march feel rotten. The shame. Another good sign, by the way, is to have one in big black and white and red block letters. You hold it up and all you say is, How long? You know? March forward and always pretend it's the other guy who's lousing it up, who's been, who's been laying the eggs that none of us want to have laid. Now, of course, before we go deeply into tonight's program, I must tell you where we are. Well, now, that's a philosophical question that I don't think I'm equipped at this point to answer. But geographically, we are located tonight in the limelight, right in the heart of Greenwich Village, where passions run high. Where anger flows like a deep river right down the middle of 7th Avenue. <laughs> Where life is lived to the fullest. Here at the limelight, a veritable cake of Fleischmann's yeast. Nestling on the windowsill of eternity with the deep hot sun. 
of human endeavor beating on it, slowly beginning to ferment, bubbling, ready to boom, the limelight. Now, there's a lot to be said about our world, and I don't know whether or not we as Americans know what we are. Tonight on the way down here, I had this transistor radio, and I keep in touch, you know, with reality by listening to the good guys, stuff like that, see? And, and I've got this radio on, and a commercial comes on, and the commercial says, the official drink of our generation. Have you heard that commercial? If any one drink epitomizes the tastes, the attitudes of an entire generation, the official drink of our time, Pepsi-Cola. <laughs> Did you hear that commercial? Well, you know, I'm sitting there, I'm saying the official drink of our generation. I hope he's going to say something, you know, and I'm waiting. He says, Pepsi-Cola. <laughs> and maybe that's true. It's a terrible thought. I've got nothing against Pepsi. I've got nothing against the sociables. But somehow, us you-who drinkers feel... <laughs> you, know, you know, it is a terrible thought to realize that there now is an official drink. If you notice, everything's official now. The official World's Fair shirt. It's that cheap little cheesecloth one, you know. The that melts in the rain, and there's an official World's Fair belt, an official World's Fair car. Ralph Kiner drives the official New York Mets car. I hope it's more of a winner than a Mets. You know, I hate to be the official New York Mets car, but nevertheless, all these things, are, oh, the word official is very, it's, it, it's supplanted science in our time. Official. The official drink of a generation. Pepsi-Cola. Yes, I, I, I suspected it. I'll never forget the first time I arrived here in New York City. How many of you remember it? Right there in the heart of Times Square. Do you recall standing up there a thousand feet tall, an enormous bottle of guess what? Do you remember that? Do you remember how it used to stand over Times Square with the lights on it and the music playing and that big waterfall that poured down next to it and there was an enormous bottle of Pepsi? And at that time, I thought to myself, I hope they save this thing. You imagine 500 years from now, the archaeologists digging. They come across a bottle of Pepsi-Cola that stretches from Houston Street to the City Hall. And they say, what giants? Well, you know, I'll tell you how different our society is. You know, it's sad that this is the official drink of a generation, that other generations had greater drinks. Ambrosia, nectar, mead, nut brown ale, and finally as we crawl our way... Oh, yeah, there were other drinks, too, along the way. <laughs> you know, can't you imagine some poor guy reeling down, down Greenwich Avenue here, three sheets to the wind, since the age of 12, he's been licking up the soup. He comes reeling down, and they tell him the official drink of the generation. <laughs> what a misspent youth. You know? <laughs> it's really, you know, speaking of youth, here, here's the difference between our generation and our world. And, and just right across the ocean there, we like to think we're very much like the English. 
Well, can you imagine this? This was given to me by one of our official spies here tonight from the Newark Evening News. It's a very, it's a very funny paper. <laughs> Unwittingly, of course. Uh, the, little, the little headline says, Topic for Tots. I have to read this in my official BBC voice, of course, because that's the only way you can understand and savor the little delicate nuances that lie the big differences between here and there. <coughs> Birmingham, a special note to the BBC third program. You children listening, we'd like to salute you tonight and announce a new contest. The Birmingham City Health Committee announced today it is sponsoring a contest for school children. We want all of you to listen carefully. With $280 going to the child, the tot, that designs the best poster warning against venereal disease. <laughs> try that on your... <laughs> Kitties, try that on your finger paint kit. <laughs> Now, now, you see, I didn't, I didn't, <laughs> you know, I can imagine this poor little kid. That reminds me of a movie they used to have in the army. <laughs> oh, my. <laughs> yeah, I can remember, I remember that, that movie, you know, uh, I don't know how many of you ever saw it. Great movie. Because it had such an electric theme. I remember there was all kinds of counter little things running through it. And for those of you who remembered, it opened up with the with this this distinguished looking colonel. You remember that? And he looked out at you, and of course they opened it up with the sound of the signal corps march. And it came on an official U.S. Signal Corps film. Classified information. Don't tell them at home what you're watching, you know. A lot of people got a funny look. You could tell who was in and who wasn't, you know. Well, you'll understand. We used to call it a Mickey Mouse film. That's really what they call it. And so it's oh, classified information. And then it would fade, and you see this distinguished-looking character actor, who, by the way, played Judge Hardy. He played Judge Hardy with Mickey Rooney for years. They used to have these heart-to-heart -heart talks, you see. And I assume they had a thing they called a man-to-man -man talk. You remember Andy Hardy and Mickey Rooney and old Judge Hardy'd say, Well, it's time, Mickey, <clears throat> for a little man-to-man -man talking. He was the judge. Well, of course, the whole generation of guys in the Army had been brought up on Judy Garland and Mickey, Mickey Rooney and Judge Hardy and Andy Hardy, that whole series. So naturally, when the judge showed up, you had a sense, well, I suppose you can say a sense of solidity. He shows up and he says, All right, men, the great opening line. As an officer of the Army Medical Corps, it is my duty to tell you some unpleasant facts about life. <laughs> and we're all sitting out there scrunching down, you know. Immediately we think, you know, it's going to be something about the Germans bombing Rotterdam. You know, he isn't going to tell us about Esther Jane Albury. He says, I was an officer of the Army Medical Corps. And with that, he pulls down this 
little shade, you know, the window shade that has the horrible example on it. It goes... I am 17 years old. And remember, my idea of a very big evening is sort of looking all the way across the car to Esther Jane and saying, you want a hamburger? And he pulls this down. He says, all right, man, boom. Well, I'll tell you, it was one of the greatest movie scenes I've ever seen. Talk about a dynamic plot. Well, there was a brief moment of silence. And then he says, and I want you now to step in. I want you to step in with me to our clinic where we will talk to one of the men who might have a word of advice for you. And then there was a close-up picture. Do you remember the guy? He opens his mouth. (laughs) You stagger back. And he says, he says, I'm, uh, uh, if I can help the other GIs out there, I, I'm pleased to help. And then the judge takes us to the next room. You know, I met that guy two years later in the Army. It was all phony. Guy wasn't even interested in women. <laughs> no, you're not catching him at all there. So... So, I, I, you know, by this time, at the age of 17, you know, I'm reeling back from this whole scene. And then he says, and now we're going to give you a little dramatic episode that perhaps will illustrate our point clearer than any mere words can. And it shows a G.I. walking down a dark, deserted street. <laughs> you remember that scene? Well, it wasn't exactly the kind of scenes that you see between Rock Hudson and Audrey Hepburn. But suffice it to say, it was riveting. It held your attention. It was, it was early Tennessee Williams. Very early. And, and they meet on this little dark street. And the next thing you know, there's the guy. I remember the scene where he puts the cigar. Do you remember that? He puts the cigar down on a railing as they go into the, into the place. And 30 seconds later, apparently, he comes out and the cigar hasn't even burned at all. <laughs> he puts the cigar in his mouth. <laughs> well, I'll tell you. <laughs> of course, everybody. In the, of course, we're all getting the wrong message from this thing. <laughs> we all wonder where this town is. You know. <laughs> you know, the rest of us have been spending our time in the USO and Red Bank. I don't know whether ever there were the donuts and stuff. <laughs> there was a GI who was, you know, the mother load. He was there. Well, well, we're sitting there. And, and for 45 minutes, this fantastic film goes on. Well, after it was over, the judge comes out and he says, Remember, men, look for the green light. Watch for the green light, and you'll have just two hours. As an officer of the Army Medical Corps, I hope that my message has had some value to you. And then, bum, 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 we settle back. And they used the same theme song that they used for the Anopheles Mosquito music. You remember the one on the Anopheles Mosquito? And there was another great film. That was the film about the nomenclature of the M1 gas-operated carbine. That was a good show. I remember that. It was very, one of my favorites. And then there was one called Basic Elements of Infantry Drill. Do you remember the looks on the faces of those guys that were doing that with the sharp things? And the clean hats and the clean helmets, and they kept doing a bow face and marching away. Well, that song, that same song came on. 
This has been an official U.S. Army Signal Corps film. Classified information. Now we're sitting a little lower. We realize that a large part of our life prior to this moment has been classified. Seriously, have you ever had the feeling that somebody knows something you don't? <laughs> you know that terrible feeling when you're a kid and you're growing up and you hear people in the next room talking? Grown-ups? And they say these incomprehensible things and then they laugh. That rotten, dirty laugh. <laughs> and then one lady says, please, the kids may still be listening. <laughs> And, you know, your, ig your ears are the size of cauliflowers. You, know? you have listened, but you have gotten no message. The kids may be listening. Ooh, what is it? What is it? And then you hide back under the coat, see? Pretending you're asleep. And then somebody comes and peeks in. They close the door. Say, oh, it's okay. They're asleep. Now, what were you saying, Fred? And then you're back to the door again. And they blah, 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 blah. <laughs> oh, please, don't talk like that, Fred, in front of Myrtle. <laughs> and, you know, there you are, cut out. And all of your life, you figure, you know, there's something, some inner core, and now here you are, a grown-up. Here you are, you know. But do you really? <laughs> Could it be that somebody does have a line on something you don't understand? Could it be that just next door they have got a sin going you don't know about? <laughs> and, of course, uh, in sociological research, you'd like to look it up. <laughs> well, you see, this, I think, is one of the secret problems of all of us, really. That there should be something beyond life. You know, you have the feeling that all your life you're sort of ad-libbing. You go to the beach. You wait for it to happen there. You sit. Guys run in and out of the water, you know, with the Valentine beer cans. You know, those big parties they have on commercials and stuff. Have you know? Oh, yeah, by the way. I hate to bring up an unpleasant subject since we're on radio, you know, and the commercials and all that. But have you ever had the feeling that people in commercials enjoy life a lot more than you do? I mean, have you ever noticed the fantastic look on the face of this guy when he's smoking a cigarette? And you know, you see guys all day long, I light him and nothing. But these guys... And the sunshine comes and the water flows. It's always springtime, you know. And the chick looks at him with the burning look of a girl who recognizes a man who knows how to smoke a cigarette. <laughs> you know, that look of admiration when he lights the right cigarette. And, and there, is one, there is one wild commercial that I watched the other night. And it's this commercial where this guy, you know, he's standing on the bridge of a ship or a zeppelin or something. It's a place where there's tremendous pressure, you know. They're really pressurizing this guy. And he's sweating, boom, boom, and he pulls the levers, boom, boom, boom. He's sweating, and the other guy's standing over there calmly, and finally he gets it under control. Whew, boy, that was tough. Whoa. Boo. He's got a cigarette, see. 
Boy, that's not all it's tough. These cigarettes sure ain't tasting like they used to taste. The other guy says, well, try one of these. <laughs> you know what that, wait till you see what life is about, look. And the guy lights the cigarette and he says, huh. <laughs> and the music comes up. And once again, Nirvana has been touched. And here you are, sitting out there, smoking that very cigarette. You got a sore throat. Your knee hurts. And somehow the sense, of course, that you get is that you aren't doing it right. You don't drink the beer right. You notice those beer drinkers, what wild parties they have right on the beach, you know? They sit there and they all yell, Yes, sir, that's my baby. Yes, sir, that's my baby now. And they run around and they pass it back and forth. Yes, sir. What are you applauding, those people or what? <laughs> or the beer, you know? Let's all order up a round of beer here. Get it going, gang. Hey, wouldn't it be great if tonight we did have one of those TV commercial parties? <laughs> and all those tall, skinny young men come in? <laughs> Incidentally, have you ever noticed that, that everybody on the commercials looks completely like no one you ever saw? <laughs> this party is one of the most in interesting parties. Everybody looks alike. They're all tall, skinny, wavy hair. They wear fluffy sweaters, the men do. <laughs> <laughs> and, and whenever they have a normal kind of guy, he always provides comedy relief. You know, he's the one that says, yes, that's right, that's right, in the back, you know. <laughs> oh, by the way, have you, have you seen the one where the two meet on the bus? And the guy is debating whether to offer her a cigar or not? Well, I have met several girls on buses exactly like that. And... and uh, <laughs> It's not a question of whether to offer a cigar. Usually it's a question of whether you're going to offer her some cut plug. And <laughs> I don't know. Have you noticed the beautiful people that ride on buses, too, on commercials? There's friendly little old ladies right out of Norman Rockwell. There's beautiful girls right off the MGM lot. And all those tall, thin young men. Those special young men, you know. Those young men that play and sing do all these things better than we do. Have you ever ridden the bus between Indianapolis and Mooresville, Indiana? Any of you? Yes, I know you have, man. Well, I used to ride a cross-country bus. And I can tell you this, that to anyone who is interested in mankind, psychology, life, the yeast cake of existence, the fruitcake of eternity, I would suggest that you go to the Wheeling, West Virginia bus terminal at 1.15 a.m. and catch the Zanesville, Ohio special. You walk in, and of course, immediately you see three sailors laying there drunk. <laughs> Where they come from, how they're there, why, I don't know. There's always a girl with a very tight skirt, and she's a girl that's a little wider than most girls. And she's sitting there with her patent leather shoes, 
and she's got her white plastic bag with the big yellow sunflowers on it. Her hair is up in curlers, and she's sitting there chewing, and God knows where she's going. She's just sitting there waiting for the bus. And then usually there is a group, a small group of angry ladies with badges. At one o'clock in the morning, thin, angry Baptist ladies who have missed three consecutive buses because two nasty men were on those buses. <laughs> and they're waiting for the big one that's going to come along at 1.30. But the thing is, it gets progressively and completely more dynamically worse as the night goes on until finally at 3 o'clock in the morning as you're rocketing through the American night with those endless cornfields stretching out to the left and to the right and those singing electric telephone wires and that skinny girl with the wide hips in front of you chewing her gum you can hear her all the way back in the bus's rear end she's popping it away the sailors snoring and reaching out once in a while and taking a tentative pinch the sound of stories being told in the darkness assignations being attempted the steady mumble and roar and mutter of existence you understand why they say Leave the driving to us. <laughs> I mean, you can't drive and do a lot of other stuff at the same time, you know. Uh, speaking of the greyhound of life, what radio station is this, gang? Come on, hit it! Yes, go ahead! New York, the fantastic big apple of existence. We're in the big time, friends, right? The home of Robert Moses. Oh, yes, one day we're going to go down in history, is that? The home of Robert Moses and the home of the people who know how to live. Right, gang? Yeah. New York is a what? New York is a summer fist fight. In fact, I saw the other night when the Yankees were dropping one to the White Sox. And they were behind by seven runs. The Yankee management wanted to get a little, you know, get something going. So they flashed on the scoreboard, Welcome to New York, a summer festival. And just then, Pepitone dropped a pop-up. And he looked back up there like that, and the crowd went, Boo! You know, that friendly way that New Yorkers love their heroes, you know. <laughs> yes, and then it said, It's a summer festival, and New York is also... A summer fete. Where are they holding the festival this year? <laughs> oh, that's interesting, isn't it? Well, listen, friends. Let's give a great big cheer now for the 23rd floor. This is the commercial department. They're making all of this possible. So give them a cheer. Come on. This is... Oh. Oh, how terrible. All right, commercial department. All right, gang down there. Here is your one minute of blood. Take it. Are you for a filter and rich flavor, too? The logical move is L&M. The logical move. The logical move is L&M. The rich flavor cigarette with a modern all-white filter. The logical move. 
Are you for a filter? L&M has a modern, all-white filter. Pure white, both inside and outside. And you get the good taste of L&M's rich flavor leaf. The good taste of soft nature, longer-age tobaccos. So if you're for a filter, and rich flavor too... The logical move. The logical move is L&M. Frightening thing. Those angry, glittering eyes. Well, I can't but accede to the crowd. I can only say, you can't stand in the way of 50 million knotheads. By the way, that's one of the great slogans of all time. 50 million Frenchmen can't be wrong. Oh. <laughs> it has been a very difficult time to ever see in history where at least three of them were right. <laughs> oh, it's terrible. I'm getting worse. You know, speaking of, 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 of the time, though, that we live in, now, it is true, you just can't put it aside, that when you get out there and you look at life and you begin to taste it, you get scared. It doesn't have any order. It doesn't have any shape. How many of you would like to have Eugene O'Neill write your script? Or would you prefer Patty Shyevsky? Or, who's that? Oh, Tennessee Williams is writing yours, I can tell. <laughs> I can tell by the way your glasses gleam. <laughs> and, and, and most guys think that Salinger is writing their script. That's one of the more fascinating... The world is filled with Holden Caulfields, sensitive, phony spotters, who invariably spot phonies for what they are, the other guys who go through life, you know, like beautiful flowers, and they all identify with Holden. The guys that read Catcher in the Rye, for those of you who haven't read it, it's about a sensitive youth who runs away from school because, ah, oh, the world's full of phonies. Got to get it right, phonies, all phonies everywhere. Every, every place I look, phonies, rotten people. And I'm so beautiful. <laughs> no, they're phonies. They made me rotten. Phonies, phonies. Well, this is Catcher in the Rye, in a sense, put into a thumbnail. Now, not one guy identifies with the short, fat guy with pimples who's in the shower in the opening of Catch in the Rye, do they? Not one guy says, that's me. <laughs> well, have you, have you ever listened to a discussion of bad guys 
ever in your life and identified yourself with them? Have you ever stood on the street and seen the Salvation Army blowing their horns, beating on the drums, and there's that little thin lady with the pale complexion in uniform, and the drum is going boom, boom, boom. And she is saying above the great vast throng that's on its way to last year at Marion Bad, or whatever deep insightful thing you're looking for, and boom, boom. And she looks out over the crowd and she says, we are all sinners. <laughs> I can see uh, it's, it's the thing that each one of us does is say, yep, that's right. We ought to get after them. That's right. We ought to go and get them. The sinners, that is, the bad guys. Well, I'll tell you, maybe this is why I'm, I'm a great fan of sports. Because nowhere else in our life do you see the lines drawn so clearly. The good guys and the bad guys. The good guys are the guys that you are a fan of, and the bad guys are the others. All the others. And it's fascinating when you sit out in a stadium and watch how quickly the good guy turns into a bad guy and the bad guy turns into a good guy. Let me give you an illustration. Last week, about three days ago, the New York Yankees were playing the Chicago White Sox. Well, now you know the Yankees. I mean, the Yankees are like the Morgan Trust Corporation. <laughs> I mean, they are. You know that lion that comes creeping out on TV that walks over over Wall Street, you know? Somehow, he walks right past that news dealer. You remember that? And he just sort of looks at him. It's the lion that's in control. And here are the Yankees, the good guys at Yankee Stadium. Well, the White Sox are there. Who are the White Sox? That's the question. Who are the White Sox? That's what I hear in the press box. And out there on the field, you see them. A lot of very tiny men. They're very small. They're, they're, they're even smaller than the Yankees. And they wear little blue uniforms that look like baby sleepers. You know the kind with the feet on the bottom? They do. You know, the Yankees have got these big square shoulders with the pinstripes, you know. And there's not... Where's my hat? Quick, give me, the, give me my Yankee hat. Come on. on the, watch this. Where do you see the metamorphosis? Watch this. I always carry this in case of emergency. <laughs> you know, when, when, when you, you need that little extra shot of uh, confidence, some guys need scotch. When I go in to talk to the program director, I take... <laughs> Notice the snotty look that comes into my eye immediately. You notice how my gut goes in. Look at them shoulders. Look at that Yankee hat. Well, the Chicago White Sox have got a little beanie. <laughs> they don't have a big hat that sticks up with a big NY like it. It's a little beanie, see? And it says S-O-X. I mean, socks. That's such a little kid thing, you know, pull up your socks and all the little things like that. You know, your socks are coming. Why don't you put on clean socks this morning? S-O-X, it's a little beanie, see, and they all wear it like this. Well, the difference between... It was a fascinating moment, you see, because everybody out there is preparing to see the Yankees murder these little guys to go back into their rightful position. 
Now, you've heard the pennant race? The average New Yorker sports fan does not believe that the pennant belongs to the American League. It belongs to the Yankees. And anybody else who wins it is a usurper. He's unofficial. That's the year that isn't in the record book for most fans. 59, well, that was a nutty year. Uh, the next year, you know, well, we'll do it. It's, it's a Yankee pennant. And so here you have that attitude. It's fantastic. You go out there and the Yankees are taking batting practice. Have you ever watched a Yank take batting practice? You can see he's just purposely dubbing. And he doesn't want, he just dubs it a little bit and he walks around, spits. That big stadium just engulfs him like an enormous mother. I think one of the reasons why the Yankees win is because they have the most mother-like stadium. Those big arms that just hold them like that. Oh, oh, believe me, the Mets are playing in the middle of a great big pot. It just lays there. It doesn't hold them. I'm serious. I'm telling you, these are the little subtle things. But a Yankee walks out there and he feels warm. That's, it says, don't worry, I'll protect you. The big flags flying out in center field is that big white one that says, American League Champions, 1963. Flaps back and forth. And out in the field are the White Sox. Little, tiny, angry men. Nobody even knows their names. It's guys like Sancho Ponze. <laughs> Pancho Sanze. Pedro Gonzalez. Gonzalez Pedro. Whole bunch of little angry guys, and they got their hats, and they're running around, see? Well, obviously you hate them. You gotta, you know, it's like all those little imps in the commercials, you know, the stick people, jab stuff. You remember Peter Payne, you know? They got a whole team of Peter Paynes. Little guys, you see, running around out there, and the Yankees come out, and they stand there, and then every Yankee gets a fantastic roar. He just shows up. <laughs> Mickey Mantle just sort of looks out. <laughs> Tom Tresh peeks up. <laughs> Well, five minutes after the game starts, the Yanks are down five to one. And these angry little men are moving like sharks out there. They're grabbing the ball and they're hitting those snotty little hits, you know, ding, you know. And they run and they slide. And almost imperceptibly, the good guy becomes the bad guy. And five minutes before, Joe Pepitone was loved. And all of a sudden, they're hollering, Boo, Pepitone! Pepitone looks up, he's got his Yankee hat on, you know. Boo! Roger Maris gets up, boo! And they start cheering the little guys. They start cheering Pancho Sanchez. Pedro, Pedro. And speaking of little guys, here's the gang from your father's mustache down the street. Hey! Are you sure that's where from? They've just changed their name. Down the street is a place used to be called the Red Gata until sense took over. And now they call it your father's mustache. By the way, do you remember the song? Your father's mustache. That was another one of the great examples of American culture. So, are you all set, men? A friendly-looking group, aren't they? <laughs> Somehow they should be, you know, they're not commercial at all. Wait till you hear them. They're terrible. All right, here we go.
Go, go. When are you going to blow something good? <laughs> Be careful. You're dealing with a pro. This is by Arnold Scherenberg. <laughs> all right, let's all encourage them, gang. <laughs> all right, here they go.
The quarterback is outlining. gang from your father's mustache right down the way here. They drop in. You know, down here at the limelight, almost every night, all kinds of people come in with guitars. There's one guy that wanders through occasionally with a funny look on his face, blowing bagpipes. There's a guy who leaps up when he's excited and starts playing hiding on the bones. This is, <laughs> this is a very, very dynamic place. And we'll be here until... Midnight or thereabouts. How, how late are we open tonight, Marty? Three in the morning. Three in the morning. And at three o'clock in the morning, what do you do? You blow the horn? Yeah. Give them a toot on the horn there. Let them know when they got to quit here. Listen to this here. <laughs> That's a symbolic horn that says, get out. <laughs> and uh, what's that, Marty? Not until three o'clock in the morning down here at Sheridan Square in the village where life is one big, rich cake of Fleischmann's yeast. Right, gang? We'll be back immediately following the news, which follows in just about 30 seconds. You better get ready to take it down there, fellas, so go! This is WOR New York, AM and FM, your RKO General Stations. The kids go to camp, but I didn't know we old folks could, too. Small children with their parents are eligible, and grandparents, too, at a New York City Mission Society camp. One of New York City's best friends welcomes the needy, regardless of age, race, or color. It also welcomes your support. Send your check today to New York City Mission Society, 105 East 22nd Street, New York 10. Again, New York City Mission Society, 105 East 22nd Street, New York 10. 
For real fun at bargain prices, come on over to Palisades Amusement Park. There are free circus acts, free dancing, free parking, and admission is still only 30 cents. The news follows, and after the news, of course, back to Gene Shepard at the limelight. At the tone, exactly 11 p.m. <laughs> 